Chapter thirty eight of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty eight A Midnight Departure. I'm going this minute. I I want to know. Another glance at the door. Are you really quite comfortable here? Quite, I answered promptly. You have only your cousin's company, he continued, glancing at the table, which was laid for two yes but milly and i are very happy together that's very nice but i think there are no teachers you see painters and singers and that sort of thing that is usual with young ladies no teachers of that kind of any kind are there no my uncle thinks it better i should lay in a store of health he says i know and the carriage and horses have not come how soon are they expected i really can't say and i assure you i don't much care I think running about great fun. You walk to church? Yes, Uncle Silas's carriage wants a new wheel, he told me. Aye, but a young woman of your rank, you know. It is not usual she should be without the use of a carriage. Have you horses to ride? I shook my head. Your uncle, you know, has a very liberal allowance for your maintenance and education. I remembered something in the will about it, and Mary Quince was constantly grumbling that he did not spend a pound a week on our board. I answered nothing but looked down. Another glance at the door from Dr. Briley's sharp black eyes. Is he kind to you? Very kind, most gentle and affectionate. Why doesn't he keep company with you? Does he ever dine with you, or drink tea, or talk to you? Do you see much of him? He is a miserable invalid. His hours and regimen are peculiar. Indeed, I wish very much you would consider his case. He is, I believe, often insensible for a long time, and his mind in a strange, feeble state sometimes. I dare say, worn out in his young days. And I saw that preparation of opium in his bottle. He takes too much. Why do you think so, Dr. Briley? It's made on water. The spirit interferes with the use of it beyond a certain limit. You have no idea what those fellows can swallow. Read the opium eater. I knew two cases in which the quantity exceeded de Quince's. Aha! It's new to you. And he laughed quietly at my simplicity. And what do you think his complaint is? I asked. Pooh! I haven't a notion. But probably one way or another, he has been all his days working on his nerves and his brain. These men of pleasure, who have no other pursuit, use themselves up mostly, and pay a smart price for their sins, and so he's kind and affectionate, but hands you over to your cousin and the servants. Are his people civil and obliging? Well, I can't say much for them. There is a man named Hawkes and his daughter who are very rude, and even abusive sometimes, and say they have orders from my uncle to shut us out from a portion of the grounds. "'But I don't believe that, for Uncle Silas never alluded to it "'when I was making my complaint of them to-day.' "'From what part of the grounds is that?' asked Dr. Briley sharply. "'I described the situation as well as I could. "'Can we see it from this?' he asked, peeping from the window. "'Oh, no.' "'Dr. Briley made a note in his pocket-book here, and I said, "'But I'm really quite sure it was a story of Dickens. "'He is such a surly, disobliging man.' "'And what sort is that old servant that came in and out of his room?' "'Oh, that is old Lamour,' I answered rather indirectly, "'and forgetting that I was using Milly's nickname. "'And is she civil?' he asked. 
no she certainly was not a most disagreeable old woman with a vein of wickedness i thought i had heard her swearing they don't seem to be a very engaging lot said dr bryerly but where there's one there will be more see here i was just reading a passage and he opened a little volume at the place where his finger marked and read for me a few sentences the purport of which i will remember although of course the words have escaped me it was in that awful portion of the book which assumes to describe the condition of the condemned and it said that independently of the physical causes in that state operating to enforce community of habitation and an isolation from superior spirits there exist sympathies aptitudes and necessities which would of themselves induce that depraved gregariousness and isolation too and what of the rest of the servants are they better he resumed we saw little or nothing of the others except of old giblets the butler who went about like a little automaton of dry bones poking here and there and whispering and smiling to himself as he laid the cloth and seeming otherwise quite unconscious of an external world this room is not got up like mr ruffin's does he talk of furnishings and making things a little smart no well i must say i think he might here there was a little silence and dr bryerly with his accustomed simultaneous glance at the door said in low cautious tones very distinctly have you been thinking at all over that matter again i mean about getting your uncle to forego his guardianship i would not mind his first refusal you could make it worth his while unless he that is unless he's very unreasonable indeed and i think you would consult your interest miss ruffin by doing so and if possible getting out of this place but i have not thought of it at all i am much happier here than i had at all expected and i am very fond of my cousin milly how long have you been here exactly i told him it was some two or three months have you seen your other cousin yet the young gentleman no hm aren't you very lonely he inquired we see no visitors here but that you know i was prepared for dr bryerly read the wrinkles on his splay-boot intently and peevishly and tapped the sole lightly to the ground yes it is very lonely and the people a bad lot you'd be pleasanter somewhere else with lady knollys for instance eh well there certainly but i am very well here really the time passes very pleasantly and my uncle is so kind i have only to mention anything that annoys me and he will see that it is remedied he is always impressing that on me yes it is not a fit place for you said dr bryerly of course about your uncle he resumed observing my surprised look it is all right but he's quite helpless you know at all events think about it here's my address hans emmanuel bryerly m d seventeen king street covent garden london don't lose it mind and he tore the leaf out of his notebook here's my fly at the door and you must you must he was looking at his watch mind you must think of it seriously and so you see don't let any one see that you'll be sure to leave it throwing about the best way will be just to scratch it on the door of your press inside you know and don't put my name you remember that only the rest of the address and burn this quince is with you yes i answered glad to have a satisfactory word to say well don't let her go it's a bad sign if they wish it don't consent mind but just tip me a hint and you'll have me down and any letters you get from lady knollys you know 
for she's very plain-spoken. You'd better burn them off-hand. And I've stayed too long, though. Mind what I say. Scratch it with a pin, and burn that, and not a word to a mortal about it. Good-bye. Oh, I was taking away your book. And so, in a fuss, with a slight shake of the hand, getting up his umbrella, his bag, and tin box, he hurried from the room, and in a minute more I heard the sound of his vehicle as it drove away. I looked after it with a sigh, the uneasy sensations which I had experienced respecting my sojourn at Bartram Howe were reawakened. My ugly, vulgar, true friend was disappearing beyond those gigantic lime-trees which hid Bartram from the eyes of the outer world. The fly with the doctor's valise on top vanished, and I sighed an anxious sigh. The shadow of the overarching trees contracted, and I felt helpless and forsaken, and glancing down the torn leaf, Dr. Briley's address met my eye between my fingers. I slipped it into my breast and ran upstairs stealthily, trembling lest the old woman should summon me again, at the head of the stairs, into Uncle Silas's room, where under his gaze I fancied I should be sure to betray myself. But I glided unseen and safely by, entered my room and shut my door. So listening and working, I, with my scissors point, scratched the address where Dr. Briley had advised. Then, in positive terror, lest someone should even knock during the operation, I, with a match, consumed to ashes the tell-tale bit of paper. Now, for the first time, I experienced the unpleasant sensations of having a secret to keep. I fancy the pain of this solitary liability was disproportionately acute in my case, for I was naturally very open and very nervous. I was always on the point of betraying it a propos des bottes, always reproaching myself for my duplicity, and in constant terror when honest Mary Quince approached the press, or good-natured Milly made her occasional survey of the wonders of my wardrobe. I would have given anything to go and point to the tiny inscription and say, This is Dr. Briley's address in London. I scratched it with my scissors point, taking every precaution lest anyone, you, my good friends included, should surprise me. I have ever since kept this secret to myself, and trembled whenever your frank kind faces looked into the press. There, you at last know all about it. Can you ever forgive my deceit? But I could not make up my mind to reveal it, nor yet to erase the inscription, which was my alternative thought. Indeed, I am a wavering, irresolute creature as ever lived, in my ordinary mood. High excitement or passion only can inspire me with decision. Under the inspiration of either, however, I am transformed, and often both prompt and brave. "'Someone left here last night, I think, miss,' said Mary Quince, with a mysterious nod one morning. "'Twas two o'clock, and I was bad with the toothache, and went down to get a pinch of red pepper, leaving the candle alight here, lest you should wake. When I was coming up, as I was crossing the lobby at the far end of the long gallery, what should I hear but a horse snorting and some people a-talking, short and quiet-like? So I looks out of the window, and there surely I did see two horses yoked to a shay, and a feller a-pulling a box up a-top, and out comes a release, and a bag, and I think it was old Wyatt, please, that Miss Milly calls L'Amour, that stood in the doorway a-talking to the driver. "'And who got into the chaise, Mary?' I asked. "'Well, Miss, I waited as long as I could, but the pain was bad, and give me so awful cold.' I gave it up at last and came back to bed, for I could not say how much longer they might wait. And you'll find, miss, will be kept a secret. 
like the shay as you sawed, miss, last week. I hate them dark ways and secrets, and old Wyatt, she does tell stories, don't she? And she as ought to be particular, seeing her time be short now, and she so old. It is awful, an old un like that telling such crams as she do. Milly was as curious as I, but could throw no light on this. We both agreed, however, that the departure was probably that of the person whose arrival I had accidentally witnessed. This time the chaise had drawn up at the side door, round the corner of the left side of the house, and no doubt driven away by the back road. Another accident had revealed this nocturnal move. It was very provoking, however, that Mary Quince had not had resolution to wait for the appearance of the traveller. We all agreed, however, that we were to observe a strict silence, and that even to Wyatt, l'amour, I had better continue to call her, Mary Quince was not to hint what she had seen. I suspect, however, that injured curiosity asserted itself, and that Mary hardly adhered to this self-denying resolve. But cheerful wintry suns and frosty skies, long nights and brilliant starlight, with good homely fires in our snuggery, gossipings, stories, short readings now and then, and brisk walks through the always beautiful scenery of Bartram Howe, and above all, the unbroken tenor of our life, which had fallen into a serene routine, foreign to the idea of danger or misadventure, gradually quieted the qualms and misgivings which my interview with Dr. Bryerly had so powerfully resuscitated. My cousin Monica, to my inexpressible joy, had returned to her country house, and an active diplomacy, through the post-office, was negotiating the reopening of friendly relations between the courts of Elverston and of Bartram. At length, one fine day, cousin Monica, smiling pleasantly, with her cloak and bonnet on, and her colour fresh from the shrewd air of the Derbyshire hills, stood suddenly before me in our sitting-room. Our meeting was that of two school companions, long separated. Cousin Monica was always a girl in my eyes. What a hug it was! What a shower of kisses and ejaculations, inquiries and caresses! At last I pressed her down into a chair, and laughing, she said, you have no idea what self-denial i have exercised to bring this visit about i who detest writing have actually written five letters to silas and i don't think i said a single impertinent thing in one of them what a wonderful little old thing your butler is i did not know what to make of him on the steps is he a strolled or a fairy or only a ghost where on earth did your uncle pick him up i'm sure he came in on all hallows e'en to answer an incantation not your future husband i hope and he'll vanish some night into grey smoke and whisk sadly up the chimney he's the most venerable little thing i ever beheld in my life i leaned back in the carriage and thought i should absolutely die of laughing he's gone up to prepare your uncle for my visit and i really am very glad for i'm sure i shall look as young as he be after him but who is this who are you my dear this was addressed to poor milly who stood at the corner of the chimney-piece, staring with her round eyes and plump cheeks, in fear and wonder upon the strange lady. "'How stupid of me!' I exclaimed. "'Milly, dear, this is your cousin, Lady Knollys.' "'And so you are Millicent. Well, dear, I am very glad to see you.' And cousin Monica was on her feet again in an instant, with Milly's hand very cordially in hers, and she gave her a kiss upon each cheek and patted her head. Milly, I must mention, was a much more presentable figure than when I first encountered her. 
her dresses were at least a quarter of a yard longer though very rustic therefore she was not so barbarously grotesque by any means End of chapter thirty eight